0: Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, for your rich blessings. We want to thank you for the Sabbath day and the special blessings that accompany keeping your Sabbath day holy. And at this moment right now, I just ask for your Holy Spirit to draw near and that, Lord, um, you would anoint my lips and that we would hear a word from heaven. This we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. So, Derek Adams, depressed after splitting up with his girlfriend, decided to take all the pills in his bottle. Instantly, he regretted it. Fearing that he might die, he asked his neighbor to take him to the hospital. Upon arriving at the hospital, he collapsed. Shaky, pale, his blood pressure dangerously low. So they started doing tests, toxicology lab reports. Everything came back negative. They gave him four salines of fluids, and he didn't seem to be getting any better. A physician was called in who was part of a clinical trial for antidepressants who had prescribed these medications to Derek. And when he came, he shared that they were just sugar pills. He was in the control group. Within 15 minutes, Derek, he just came right back to normal. True story, you can look this up online. Now, Sham, Sam Schumann is a well-known story. He was told he had a metastatic tumor and he had three months to live. Three months later, he died. After he died, they did an autopsy and they discovered that the tumor was a benign tumor. Ellen White says in the Ministry of Healing, many die from disease, the cause of which is wholly imaginary. What's alarming for me is that she doesn't say some people die of disease that's whole. She says many. The Bible, of course, tells us in Proverbs, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Now, I share these stories just to underscore the power of what we allow to enter into our thought life. Obviously, God knows this. He created us. So it's not a surprise that in his perfect wisdom, he puts a book in the Bible, the theme of which is the mind. Does anyone know which book of the Bible, the theme of which is the mind? I'm sorry? Oh, we have a good, we have a good audience. Most people have no clue. Every book in the Bible has a theme. For example, Proverbs is wisdom. Psalms is Praise. Philemon is reconciliation. Hebrews would be Jesus Christ, our heavenly high priest. And the book that has to do with the mind is Philippians. If you think of all the verses you would know off the top of your head, as was just mentioned here, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. There's words like one minded, like minded, um, forgetting that which was behind and reaching forward, forgetting. Be anxious for nothing. Whatsoever things are, true, honest, just, pure, lovely, and of good report, if there be any praise, do what? Think on these things. So God knew how important our thought life is, but Satan knows this too. And so Satan wants to hijack our thought life. And he has a method that I think that he uses more than any other method. Does anyone know what Satan does to derail God's people? Distract? That's one of them for sure lies that's right fear and lies they're connected and i will submit that this is satan's most often used method of bringing us down you know why i feel confident saying that last night i shared what's the number one most often repeated command in the bible do not fear or some form of be not afraid or fear not by virtue of the fact that this is repeated more often than any other command in the bible I believe that this is Satan's number one M.O., or mode of operation, or as in Latin, modus operandi. Christian psychiatrists Frank Minerth and Paul Meyer say that anxiety is the most common mental disorder they encounter at their network of clinics across our country. So it is no surprise that God repeats this command more often than any other command. John 10, 10, one of my favorite verses, tells us, The thief cometh nigh but to steal, kill, and to destroy. Jesus says, I am come that they might have life and they may have it more abundantly. Isn't that beautiful? I love that verse. But what does Satan come to do? Steal our peace of mind. And then, as a result, kill and destroy and take away our health. Fear has adverse effects on our physiological health. Can damage your cardiovascular system. Affect your GI, cause ulcers. Affect your long-term memory. Can also impair your immune system. Now, I'm not talking about the normal, healthy fears. There are fears that are normal. We need these fears. You are born with two fears. Do you know what these two fears are that you're born with? Fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. This is normal. They did studies with little babies, and when they put them next to a glass that's clear, guess what, they don't want to go there. So we have certain fears, and these fears are there to help us with our fight or flight response and to protect us so that we don't go too close to the edge of a cliff and get hurt. I'm not talking about these kinds of fears. I'm talking about the kind of fears that we do not want to experience, that we were not designed for. Now, anxiety, for, to keep things simple, is just persistent fear. For example, when you're on an airplane and the plane drops, you instantly get fearful for a moment. And then what happens for most of us, that fear just dissipates. But for others, that fear continues, and that's anxiety because it's an irrational fear, a fear that the plane is going to crash. Now, the problem with fear is that fear just can start as a thought, but it can become an emotion and take control of us. The problem with fear is at best, it may keep us from being productive, but at worst, it can, it can impede us from living out our potential that God has for us. For others, it may get to a point where all of a sudden, fear may start leading you to engage in negative behavior, Substance abuse and things like that that definitely are detrimental to our health And for us fear can just be straight out crippling and paralyzing I remember hearing these words many many years ago and I never forgot it that The anticipation of death can be worse than fear itself. I see it's true in my dental practice For some people the thought the fear of just coming to see the dentist is much worse than the dental procedure itself Sometimes fear can be so scary that death would be a welcome reprieve for some people. To further underscore this point, in surveys, people have stated that they fear public speaking more than they fear death. Anyone here afraid of public speaking? There's some hands going up. Years ago, I was speaking at a church in Riverside and I was out in the parking lot throwing up because of my nerves. But for most people who do this, the more you do it, it gets easier. But I can relate. Anyone have a fear of heights? Anyone have a fear of the dark? It's interesting, my dogs don't have any fear of the dark. They roam all over the night. But I know my kids, when they're younger, when they have to go outside, Daddy, can you come with me? But what about deeper fears, like fears of rejection? How about fear of failure? How about fear of hurt? You always hear of that college student, guy or gal, who's afraid to commit to a relationship because they're afraid of getting hurt. Fear of getting laughed at, fear of getting judged, fear of the future, fear of change, fear of dying. A simple and useful definition of fear is an anxious feeling caused by our anticipation of some imagined event or experience. I like how Psychology Today put it best in their title of their article last year, January 1, 2020. Why every one of your fears is a lie. Fears are lies that we have bought into. In the story of Derek Adams and Sam Schumann, they had both bought into a lie. The acronym of fear, does anyone know what the acronym of fear is? That's right. False evidence appearing real. What is false evidence? It's a lie. And this should be no surprise because who is the father of lies? Satan is the father of lies. And we know that fear does not come from God. What would be a good Bible text that shows us that fear does not come from God? 2 Timothy 1.7. For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. And of course, in, in 1 John, we also know... Um, perfect love casts out fear. There's no fear in love. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Now, Satan knows how easy it is to get us to believe a lie, just as a case in point. What do most Christians believe happen if you go to hell? You burn forever and ever. Most Christians believe that. It's ubiquitous. You see how easy it is for Satan to get us to believe lies? And of course, oftentimes we think, well, everyone else is deceived, but we know truth. But how often do we succumb to these lies and that's where our fears originate from. So, do you worry about bad things that may happen to you or your loved ones? Do you worry about what the future holds about your career or if you're in school? Financial worries, your relationship problems that you may not be able to repair them? The possibilities are endless and the result is the same. Stress, worry, fear, and anxiety overtake you. And so, for the rest of this message, I'm gonna be sharing good news with you, okay? One study, a recent study, showed that 9 out of 10 worries never even come to fruition. Just think about that. You're spending 90% of all that worrying you're doing doesn't even happen. A Cambridge study found that women living in a poor area had a higher risk for anxiety than women living in an affluent, affluent area, a rich area. Now, this shouldn't be a surprise, right? Because if you've got less money and you've got problems, like let's just say financial issues, where am I going to buy my groceries, how am I going to pay my bills, you're going to have more worries than people who are living in an affluent area. But what surprised them was they discovered is that women living in poor areas, if they had a particular set of coping resources, they didn't have anxiety. While poor women living in these areas without coping resources had anxiety. Other studies showed that people who faced extreme circumstances such as adversity, been through wars and natural disasters, if they had coping resources, they remained healthy and free of mental disorders, while others facing the same hardships without coping skills went on a downward spiral and developed mental disorders. Now, for those who don't know, most of you know, a coping mechanism is a psychological strategy or adaptation that a person relies on to manage stress. And the good news is that these researchers say that these coping mechanisms can be learned. And so, what I want to do is share with you these coping mechanisms that I find to be very effective. Now, before I share these coping mechanisms, I just want to share something real quick, a caveat. Years ago, I suffered from anxiety and even severe panic attacks. And they were because of a physiological cause. Once I was diagnosed properly, I had severe uh, mercury toxicity. And so because of that, I would have panic attacks. I had severe anxiety, affected my sleep. I mean, just literally affected um, everything that I did and the thing is once they diagnosed it I went through detox and after six months later. I got complete got my health back back to normal And so the thing is I always mention is you know if you're stepping on three thumbtacks You can do all the new start you want drink all the carrot juice you want use charcoal and you might feel a little bit better But until you get those thumbtacks out of your foot. You're still gonna feel pain You take out one thumbtack. You'll feel better. You got to get all three thumbtacks out. Okay, and so um, just want to Underscore that because sometimes there's a physiological basis for your anxiety and for your fear. So the first one is called re- there's four R's. Okay, the first one is called reframing or restructuring. This is used in therapy to create a different way of looking at a situation, person, or relationship by changing its meaning. So just to give you a simple example of reframing. I learned about this from a a, a book that I read when I was young when I had young ki- my kids were younger about child rearing and it just works so great, I've been using it ever since. So if I ask my daughters to go to my room or upstairs and go grab a book for daddy, yeah, they'll go do it, maybe begrudgingly, they'll go, sure, dad, I'll go get that book for you. But if I told both of my daughters, hey, I want you guys to race up and see who can grab that book the fastest and get it back to me. Now these two are running up the stairs as fast as they can to grab that book and come run down to me. When I ask him to do a favor, it's something sort of, it's a chore, it's negative. As soon as I reframed it into this is a challenge, this is a game, it became something positive. They run right up the stairs. It, this works great with adults too. In our ministry, we would order all these sweatshirts and shirts we're selling. We have to inventory all of them, count them, and we're getting our volunteers to do this and they're a little lackluster and just doing this. And when I would tell them, look, we're going to have a contest. We have teams. Who can count the shirts and fold them the fastest? And everybody's working feverishly to do this. One's negative, one's positive. So. You may have heard this phrase before. Don't tell God how big your problems are. Tell your problems how big your God is. Can you think of someone in the Bible who did this? Job is a good answer. There's one person in particular I'm thinking of. That's right, David. David didn't tell God how big Goliath was and how big his problems were. He would go tell the Philistine Goliath how big his God was. Thou comest to me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a shield? But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee, and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the hosts of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. I had an issue with one of my patients, and as a dentist, I would say the one thing that could cause me the most stress is issues with my patient. And I can't even remember what the issue was, but it's like, you know, as a dentist, you're always thinking, first thing is, okay, could this lead to a lawsuit? Now, when I'm stressed or worried, I go out running. That's what I do. I just start to run. And if you're familiar with the book uh, uh, by Dr. Raddy Spark, one of the things he recommends is when you have anxiety, start doing something to get your heart rate going. Because when your heart rate going, you're sweating and perspiring. These are very physiologically the same uh, uh, things that you experience when you're having anxiety, but in a positive way, in a positive circumstance. So I'm out running and I'm thinking I gotta reframe the situation. One is I can think about all the negative consequences that can happen. This patient, if they're upset, they're gonna cause me problems, they write negative reviews, it might turn into a lawsuit. I can just talk about all the things. Or I'm gonna reframe this. So I reframed it in my mind. And I said, God, this is an opportunity for me to see you do another miracle on my behalf. I get to look forward to seeing how you're going to deliver me from this. And my fears just dissipated. And I just enjoyed my run. As soon as I went home that evening when we we're having family worship, I shared this story with my wife and kids for a deliberate reason. Why did I share the story with my wife and kids? What's that? It? That's one of the things, but I'm going to tell you specifically why I shared it. Good answer. I shared it to solidify and crystallize this back into my own brain. Because what we put into our brain has a powerful effect on us, just like with Sam Schumann and Derek. And guess what? I never worried about this problem again, and guess what? It dissipated, and I can't even recall what the problem was. Now, Satan intends the stress to be a curse, and you have the choice to ruminate on it? As he intends, or flip it upside down, reframe it, and turn it into an opportunity, to experience God's power. Albert Einstein said, in every difficulty lies an opportunity. What was the acronym of fear again? False evidence appearing real? Flip it. There's another acronym for fear, which is face everything and rise. What do you want to do? Believe the false evidence or face your fears? Because one of the things about fears is in order to overcome your fears, you've got to face your fears. I deal with fearful patients all the time as a dentist. And the thing is, I can help them overcome their anxiety, but the thing is, they've got to face their fears. If they don't come in, there's nothing I can do to help them. Men and women of great faith, like David, the example we used, it's natural for them to reframe things into uh, a spiritual perspective. That's what they naturally do. So for example, you may have heard this. C.T. Studd, missionary, famous known missionary. They're struggling with financial issues. Funds are low again. How do you feel when you're dealing with financial stress? Worried, stressed, how are we going to meet these bills? They say funds are low again, hallelujah. That means God is, trusts us and is willing to leave his reputation in our hands. Financial problems which would bring most people down was a reason to celebrate, a reason to praise and glorify God. After last night's message, someone was just sharing with me how someone had shared with them, my car's stolen, praise God. God's going to give me a new car. First R was reframed. Second R is recall. Here's an L.G.Y. quote that most of you are familiar with. We have nothing to fear for the future, except as we shall forget the way the Lord has led us and his teaching in our past history. The second R is recall. We must recall what God has done for us in our past Can anyone think of someone in the Bible who used this coping mechanism of recall? Who? That's right. What did David do? He recalled how God delivered him from the lion and the bear. I like to think back when I'm going through stress of all the times that God has delivered me, and he has delivered me so many times, I could could write a book about it. Um, one, One... in particular that has to do with dentistry, I was learning to place implants, and I placed an implant either too close to the nerve or in the nerve, and now the patient has paresthesia, numbness, tingling. This is a guaranteed lawsuit. I prayed. If I recall correctly, I think I did a Daniel fast, and I prayed for 21 days, and she was completely healed. i have to just remind myself how good God is. God is amazing. I encourage you, write down, your prayer requests and your answers to prayers. And when you're going through difficult times, go back and read those, because we forget how God has led us. The Cambridge study cited that one of the things that made a big difference between a woman woman who had or didn't have anxiety was whether the person felt like she had a sense of control. It's important to feel like you're in control. So one of the things we do when our patients come in, first is they've got to face their fears, number one. Number two, the patient has to feel like they're in control. We tell them over and over, if you feel anything at all, raise your left hand, we'll stop whatever we're doing. That way they feel like they're in control. The third thing is, is everything has to go painless. They have to have a great painless experience. You mess up on any one of those three things, they're not coming back. But if everything goes smoothly, they'll come back a second time, and usually by two visits, the fear of the dentist is gone. So it's important that they feel like they're in control, but we have something even better than that. You know what's even better than feeling like you're in control? Knowing that God is in total control of everything. Who's the most wealthiest man right now? It's not Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Amazon. So wealthy. If you had a problem and he was your friend, he goes, Don't even worry about your problem. I got your back. Whatever your problem is, I can solve it for you. Would that just kind of alleviate your fears? He's got all the money. He's got more money than, I mean, And here, Jeff Bezos has nothing on God. God owns everything. A cattle on a thousand, all the gold and silver are his. Bezos is a pipsqueak compared to God. And yet, why do we have so much trouble trusting in God? Here's uh, just a couple statements that Sister White says about God's power. The power of God is manifested in the beating of the heart, in the action of the lungs, and in the living currents that circulate through the thousand different channels of the body. I just snap my finger, God is aware of that. He knows exactly what I'm saying right now. He's right there. And that's helped me sometimes when I'm going through stress, knowing that God is right here. He knows everything that are running through my thoughts. When you realize that every single atom, molecule, thought, breath is in his control, you realize that you, what do you have to fear? God is in control of everything. Another from the Mount of Blessing. He hears every word that is spoken, listens to every prayer that is offered, Tasted the sorrows and disappointments of every soul, regards the treatment that is given to father, mother, sister, friend, and neighbor. He cares for our necessities, and his love and mercy and grace are continually flowing to satisfy our need. Are you recalling God's promises? promise that we should all know by memory is Isaiah 26.3. That will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. One last thing I want you to recall. What's the most oft repeated command in the Bible? Fear not, or some form of do not be afraid. This is a command. By virtue of it being a command, to do anything otherwise is called disobedience. So remember that. But isn't that an encouraging and a comforting thought? That when you're scared, I'm actually disobeying God. I don't want to do that. We want to obey God's commandments because we love him. First was reframe, second was recall, third is reason. The Cambridge study found that women who had purpose and meaning in their life are less likely to have anxiety. Did you notice during COVID, when I just looked around, between those people who had a Christian worldview or a relationship with God, the way that they handled COVID versus my coworkers and my friends who had no um, Christian worldview, for lack of a better word, they were freaking out. Knowing the three most basic questions that that humans long for, where did I come from, what am I doing, where am I going? This gives us peace in our lives. Can you think of someone in the Bible who knew that he had a special purpose in his life? Many, of course, but once again, David. David was anointed. He knew he had a special calling in his life. David had no fear. David was courageous. What is your purpose? If someone asked you, what is your purpose, what would you say? I was uh, heading up to the mountains, and a friend of mine who's atheist, we were having our first spiritual conversation. We'd been friends for a while, and she asked me, what is your purpose in life? What do you say to an atheist? Oh, my purpose in life is that I want to baptize you, teach you the three angels message, and um, get you to be a part of my church. And you know what came out of my mouth? Was to be a blessing to others. And then I thought, hey, that's a pretty good answer to give to an atheist. You can't argue with that one. This, and then I recognized right away where that answer came from. Does anyone know where that answer came from? I'm sorry. From God. Well, it came from the desire of ages. Speaking of Jesus, it says, from his earliest years he was possessed of one purpose. He lived to bless others. And as Christians, guess what? That's our purpose. Some of you may know with uh, F5, one of the things that we did is um, we have a, uh, I was watching GYC from about two, three years ago, and Tara Vang shared her testimony. It was incredible. I was so moved. I said, Tara, I want you to come to our event and share your testimony. And when her family sang, they sang the song, Thank You. Uh, it's, a, it's a Ray Bolt song, of thank you. you know, I went to heaven and you know, just thanking people for the different things they did. And there was a guy in a wheelchair. And I said, Tara, who is that? And she goes, that's my brother. I said, why is he in a wheelchair? And she said, he's got muscular dystrophy. And I said, invite him to our next event. I'll cover his costs. have him come. So she's planning to bring him and she goes, is there any hikes that we can do for him at Zion? Well, they have some, you know, paved path that you can take a wheelchair on. And I thought, you know what, let's do something out of the ordinary for Shu. I said, let's take him up to the top of Angel's Landing, which is considered one of the, uh, one of the famous hikes, but it's also considered a scary, dangerous hike because, you know, there's cliffs on sides and stuff. I shared it with the team, and the majority were like, let's do it. There was a couple naysayers. You know, there's always going to be that naysayer, right? It was too dangerous. Your liability. There's always, a, every board meeting has that liability guy. They always bring up the liability. Nothing ever happens, but every time, there's always a liability guy. And so anyways, we said, let's do it. Let's take him up. So we made plans, and we took him up there, and we wheeled him as far as we could go because a, a path is paved for the most of the way. But once we got to a certain point, we, had, we bought a special backpack carrier that carries adults and we carried him, took turns, and we carried them all the way to the top. And it was, it was an amazing experience. The, the whole place in Zion heard about it. Everybody was there. Um, you, you know, it, was, it was funny as, you know, how, how rumors spread. So all these people are watching us doing this, and the rumors that I heard was, one of my friends was gonna get married, and I told him you should get your wedding pictures taken up there at the top. So they had their wedding gown, uh, and they were taking pictures. And so the rumors that I heard was that there's a wedding up there, and they had to get the disabled guy to the wedding. That's why they were carrying him. But anyways, the reason and eventually Inside Edition reported the story and everything. It was just it was just a it was it was a huge blessing for our ministry. But in fact, we even had a gal who joined F5 Challenge just because she saw the news report, and so she's a part, an active member of our group, and now she's coming to our next event. But the reason why I share this is that there are some people in our group who have a fear of heights; they have a real legitimate fear of heights. But when we were doing this and we were carrying Shu, helping each other, and we were being safe, we had, we had um, carabiners, ropes, we tethering in in case someone fell, we're connected with harnesses, is that everyone forgot about their fears. No one had a fear of heights. Do you know why? We're all focused on Shu, making sure he doesn't fall. We're pushing him up and we're lifting him up, and as we're focused on him, we forgot about all our fears. And It was one of the most memorable adventures I've ever had in my life. So. You struggle for, with fear, focus on helping others, serving other people. For the last R, first was reframe, second was recall, reason, having a purpose, meaning in your life, a reason in your life, and the last one, saving the best for last, which is request. In Philippians 4 6, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Now, I know prayer sounds cliche, but here's my recommendation. As you pray, go through the different R's as you are praying. One time, I had a speaking engagement, and for some reason, I normally don't get too nervous when I speak, but it was a new audience. Um, And many of you who speak may be able to recall. If I speak for my local church, I sleep like a baby the night before. If I'm speaking for a new audience, if it might be a bigger audience, sometimes I don't sleep so well the night before. For some reason before this event, I was just having a little bit of anxiety and I started praying and I started praying through this. One is I could be nervous and anxious or I can think about, oh, I have an opportunity to be a blessing to other people. Uh, I can recall how God has led and delivered me and taken me through these things in the past. And as I did, my fears just dissipated. So do that as you pray. Ellen White says in Messages to Young People, It will serve his purpose well if we neglect the exercise of prayer, for then his lying wonders are more readily received." What are fears again? They are lies that we buy into. So when we neglect to pray, it's just that much easier for us to buy into these lies. Can you see, think of someone in the Bible who would often use this coping mechanism? All right, we're catching on now. (laughs) David. I mean, Psalms. Look at the book of Psalms. It's replete with David crying out to God for deliverance. Now, it shouldn't come as a surprise that studies today, like this Cambridge study, are validating dependable and reliable methods for overcoming anxiety, of using coping mechanisms. And here, we can just go to the Bible, and we see examples of this straight from the Bible should be no surprise to us. As we come to an end, I'd like to just share just two experiences that have spoken volumes to me. In my, all my years as a Christian, I've never experienced this until after COVID hit. Think of just in the height, right now COVID is calming down, people are starting to relax. But during the height of COVID last year, like around April, May, when people are literally just besides themselves, I had a buddy of mine, he's a running buddy of mine, he's atheist. And I've run with him for over the last five years. I've never brought up the topic of God with him one time because I know he has no interest in God, and I'm going to share more about this in the next message that I'll be sharing. But he knows that I'm a Christian and that I don't come to any of the Saturday morning runs because I'm always at church. Telling people that I can't come to church, uh, I'm not—I can't join them because I have church—is my simple way of letting them know without being in their face that I'm a Christian. Oh, I've got church, and they all respect that. He texted me during COVID. He said, "Are you shut down at work? Are your employees on unemployment? What is going on?" I'm trying to negotiate this, and I feel like I am in the seventh ring of hell. I replied, yes, we were mandated to shut down on Wednesday. Hang in there. We'll get through this. Let me know if there's anything I can do to help. And I inserted the following, we'll pray for you and your office. His reply, thanks. I know you have some pull with the big guy. This atheist friend of mine, during this time of fear and anxiety, is acknowledging that I have a connection with God in heaven. He's an atheist, and he's thanking me for my prayers. When the world sees us, do they see peace in our lives? Or do they see the same fear, stress, panic that they see the rest of the world harboring? Or do they see us getting through life with confidence and edge because the prince of, the prince of peace, the peace of heaven, is in our hearts and they may be compelled to reach out to us? One other story. I share this to give God the glory because there's nothing good in me. The way I connect with people is I meet them in my rock climbing gym. I meet them hiking. I um, just meet them where, you know, I, I, I'm a I'm a very social person, so I like to engage and make connections with people. This is gal. I've known her for a number of years in our climbing gym. She's come out with us to one of our F5 climbing events. She's been in our home. And for lack of a better word, she's a pagan. She's a pagan. She's Tattoos everywhere, piercings, and on, even on her Facebook, I've seen her write just braiding things about Christians. And during the height of COVID, she messages me. She says, Calvin, you are one of the strongest and most positive person I know. May I trouble you to pray for my sister? She is sick and has health issues, and all alone in New Zealand. I don't know what my mom and I would do if she doesn't make it through this. I was so happy to receive her prayer request. Here's a gal who has no interest in godly and spiritual things. She's got all kinds of emotional health problems, and I reached out to her and I said, "Hey, I'd love to meet with you. Let's go. I'll take you. You know, let's go out so I can just talk to her because I want to just." I just know if she had Jesus in her life, most of her problems would just disappear. She's constantly sharing her problems on Facebook. And here yet, during this, she's reaching for prayer. My reply was, I would be glad to. I'll be lifting your sister up in prayer. What is her name? I'll be praying for her. Claim this promise, Isaiah 41.10. Her reply, thank you, Calvin. Keep bringing kindness and light to the world. You're a good friend. These interactions have underscored to me... That the way we carry ourselves emotionally and mentally is crucial to the witness, our witness to other people. If we're freaking out like everyone else is, why would the world want what we have? These two interactions made me wonder if this is but a small taste of what it's going to be like at the end of time when this world is spiraling out of control, when people want answers and they see us and they go, you know, those people, they have a certain peace above the storm. What is it that they have? I can imagine what a vantage point that we will have to be a witness to the world. We have something that the world is dying for. The pharmaceutical, the anxiolytic pharmaceutical business is a 42 to $46 billion business annually. People are hurting and suffering. My challenge to you is that you will be faithful to following God's most often repeated command, to fear not, to be anxious for nothing. Ending with Isaiah 41.10. God says, fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, I will help thee, yet I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. And enjoy the peace and happiness that you were created for. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org